subsidy doesn't always have to come in the form of money. So what you're seeing now is you're seeing subsidies in the form of, for example, single dig. So with all the infrastructure monies that are going in place, you're digging a new road, you're digging, you have to put all the power and water alongside of it. Well, all of a sudden now you've taken the big cost out of laying fiber, which is the dig. You are listening to the AFIRE podcast. Real estate, technology, cross-border investing, and the opportunities of a changing world. Let's start a conversation now. If something isn't a building, can it still be real estate? As we spend more and more time and more and more money online, after all these years of digital expansion everywhere, where exactly are we anyway? If real estate is ultimately all about the monetization of density in the physical world, why not in the digital world as well? I'm talking today, January 7th, 2022, with Warren Waxberger. He's the CEO of AECOM Capital and Josh Katzen, CIO of AECOM Capital. Both of them wrote a piece for the most recent issue of AFIRE Summit called Diversifying into Digital, and they are actively investing into digital real estate right now. So I'm looking forward to hearing what they think. Warren? Josh, thank you for joining me on the AFIRE podcast. Thanks, Connor. Appreciate uh, you having us on. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Okay, so uh, maybe we'll start with you, Warren, on this one. What, what, what is, a, what is a, a digital real estate asset? Sure. So we view digital real estate as the convergence of where digital infrastructure previously was uh, and where real estate is today, it's sort of the convergence of the two places that really falls into four categories. One is data centers. Uh, two is um, is fiber. Three is towers. And then the fourth is something that kind of combines it. It's more of sort of an in-building uh, digital. So things like uh, 5G cells internally, DAS systems, which are distributed antenna systems with, within a building. And we view that as sort of the ecosystem that we're identifying as, as digital real estate. And we'll get more into it as, as, as we talk today. But we think a lot of the qualities of what the cash flows look like for those particular assets mirror real estate. And so one of the reasons why we wrote the article and one of our main themes was the fact that people should be looking at these less like infrastructure assets and more like real estate assets. Just building off of what Warren said, I mean, at the end of the day, we're looking at these as ways to build out physical capacity that gets leased out and generates a yield. That's in, in that way, when you think about it, if you take that step back, it's a lot like real estate, right? In the case of traditional real estate, you build a building and you lease it out in chunks by the day, by the year, you know, to different amounts of tenants. Um, so what we're doing here is very similar, um, where we're building out networks so that again, is this is in the physical world, this isn't, when we're talking about digital real estate, we're not going so far as we're not, this is not metaverse real estate. This is actual physical capacity that we're building. But in this case, we're not building, um, necessarily a whole building, but it might be, um, it might be the networking equipment 
right? That's that's within a building or maybe networking equipment that goes beyond a building, whether it's fiber or towers or otherwise. But because of that similarity that you're building something that's a fixed amount of capacity where you're then leasing it out to, to the players that demand that capacity, you have similar risk rewards to physical real estate, right? At the end of the day, it's a supply and demand business. So you're trying to figure out for each thing that you're building, at how much risk are you uh, against other supply that either exists today or is coming online. And that's going to be different for every kind of project. And similarly, on the demand side, you have to make some estimates about what the demand for what you're doing and to what extent are you building it on spec, hoping that if you build it, people will come. And to what extent are you building something with already some built-in demand? And for each of the things that, you know, we again, we can get into it in more detail, but for each of the types of investments that we might look at, those might look very, very different. So on the supply side, if you lay a fiber network and you get a lot of subsidy to build that in a place where without that subsidy, no one else would build it. But from that standpoint, you will have no, you'll have very limited competition for hardwire, uh, hardwire networks that are going to compete with you, right? On the other hand, there are other types of competition through the air, whether it's through towers, whether it's satellite, et cetera, right? But at least you can think about what are the supply drivers that you're competing against. And similarly on the demand side, right? You might build out a network where, you know, where you're building it specifically for one to three, or maybe, you know, maybe a fourth um, wireless carrier or satellite player where the demand, the source of demand is very clear. It's one of, you know, a few players. But if you can land them, then you know what your economics are, right? So meaning just uh, when you think about the risk rewards, again, it has a lot of similarities to the way we think about real estate development. It's just that each case is specific to that project. Well, not unlike the food groups of, of more traditional real estate, you are dealing with a different kind of demand driver, different tenants, et cetera. Um, it, it does sound sound very familiar. It sounds like something that, that absolutely makes sense. There's a lot of folks that are already investing in data centers and see that as a as an extension of, of a traditional real estate strategy. Um, but as you get farther, I don't know if that's upstream, downstream, wh wh where you'd put it, but when you're talking about things like equipment in buildings, that doesn't sound as much like real estate. Can you help kind of connect the dots for someone slow like me on that one? Sure, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll take that quickly. I, th I think what it comes down to for us is really evaluating the macro trends and so where the macro trends are going, but then how does that connect into real estate? So, so the macro trends are going in a direction whereby you've got more data being used every single day and more data being used the next day after that. And so as a result, you've got networks that are in a position that they are either at capacity and need to be replaced or they don't exist already. And so the convergence with real estate to answer your question is, if you think about what's going on, for example, within buildings, as the technology gets better um, in terms of speed and bandwidth and 5G rollout, you're sacrificing something. And what you're sacrificing for is really penetration. So not to get too technical, but the bandwidth for 5G is a much narrower bandwidth than what would be for or higher frequency in effect than what the traditional cell would be. And so it doesn't penetrate walls as easily. And so, and so as a result, 
what what you're looking at is you're really looking at a situation where you need to be able to provide those network capabilities, whether it be through your cell phone, whether it be through wireless within buildings that you historically didn't have to do before. And so you now have this convergence where in order to make your tenants happy, whether they're multifamily tenants, whether they're office tenants, uh, whether they're hotel guests, in order to make them happy and to order to make them have access to the, the networks that we rely on every day, you need to upgrade the real estate or infrastructure to really help those assets. And in turn, there are multiple ways that can drive additional NOI at the real estate level and so forth that, that, that we can talk about. But in summary, although the assets aren't necessarily real estate, they either help uh, the value of real estate or the cash flow profile and the sort of the supply demand dynamics, as Josh was saying, are akin to real estate. And so that's why we sort of pivoted uh, not not even pivoted. We've expanded our our, our investment uh, thesis to to include this this digital real estate category. Yeah, I mean, you know, certainly it's important that everyone understand that you that that you and your firm are very active uh, in traditional real estate as well. Do you see this then as complementary in terms of how you're investing, or do do you see any real, or is it just yet another asset class that you're investing in? It's it's two things, and I'll let Josh expand on it as well. It's one, it's complementary in the sense that it helps enhance the existing real estate. So let's say we go and build a hotel, which we've got a number of hotel assets that, that, that we own. If, if we're able to add to the NOI because we're getting additional revenue from the carriers, as Josh was talking about, that's an enhancement. But additionally, it's another arrow in our quiver when we're looking at middle mile fiber or fiber to the home, for, for example. It really expands our investment platform, both horizontally, and it complements our investment platform vertically. And I'd say, I think, it, to be honest, it's just, uh, it's the natural progression of the business. So there was a time when real estate meant a narrower set of things, right? Office, retail, industrial, multifamily, hotel wasn't considered a food group. Hotel kind of got added and more players started playing in that business. Then over time, people got into a whole range of things, self-storage, uh, you know, manufactured homes. Now we have single family for rent. The business is constantly figuring out new interesting investments that fit the theme, but because they're a little bit more innovative and maybe a little bit, um, a little bit uh, lower competition, uh, there's a way to make excess returns. So we're always on the lookout for those situations. And I think that's, that's natural. Everybody's looking for interesting ways to make better risk adjusted returns. And then it also plays to a lot of our strengths, you know, uh, our business, because we're integrated um, into, uh, we're an investment manager that sits within a larger organization that does design and engineering and construction. We're able to tap into a lot of resources um, and those resources exist in the traditional real estate side, but they also exist on the digital side. And so again, for our business, it makes sense to, to play to our strengths and find ways where we can have advantage. Well, I think perhaps I'd love to start a campaign for us to find a new metaphor besides food groups. Uh, I think we've, we've killed that metaphor uh, as an industry. It's time to move on. Uh, the, there's, and you mentioned this in your, your article. Uh, there is, in addition to you know, 5G changing the nature of this space, uh, AI, I'm sure, in terms of demand, changing this space and everything else along that line, is is that the FCC and the government starting to, you know, put some money into trying to equalize this a little bit? Um, you mentioned the twenty billion dollar um, rural digital uh, opportunity fund. Um, 
I'd love to, I mean, that's okay. So 20 billion or so sounds like a lot of money, but it really isn't once you get going. How is that going to play out? Is this really going to make a difference? And is this something that's an opportunity? Well, I think you touch on one really big point there, which is the government has recognized that there is a clear imbalance right now between haves and have nots in terms of the digital world. And there's a real digital divide that exists. And so from an ESG perspective, and just from just a human emotional perspective, you've got people who are being set back in our country and, and globally because they don't have access to the internet and to high speed internet and so forth. And so as a result, you're really seeing not only a, uh, a moral obligation to provide high speed internet across uh, the spectrum, but also just an economic obligation, right? As you expand your, as you address the digital divide, you get an increase in GDP, a direct increase in GDP as a result of that. And so there, there's absolutely an ESG component to, um, to doing it. And I think the government has recognized that in order for the country to continue moving into the 21st century, they need to provide bandwidth as effectively a utility and, and, and high-speed bandwidth ha has almost become a right. And so as a result, you're sitting in a situation where the government is doing what it can in terms of providing subsidies uh, to help drive it. And so you've got the Rural Digital Opportunities Fund, which is RDOF, which is run by the FCC in the new infrastructure plan. There's a significant amount of capital being allocated towards, towards infrastructure. But I think what it's all come down to is, as you said, 20 billion sounds like a lot. I think there's something like Josh, is it 60 or 90 billion that was in the infrastructure plan? Some I don't recall what, what, what the exact number is. All those sound like big numbers, but when you're looking at it in aggregate, they're really not big numbers to, to, to address the need. And so as a result, what that drives is the need for private investment alongside subsidies. The government smartly recognizes that they are not going to be able to invest directly and bridge the digital divide on their own. What they're going to do is to provide subsidies so that private capital, like what we're doing, can come alongside of it and make it more economical. And so I think where the FCC has gotten it right, and I think where, build, where, where the, the, the infrastructure uh, plan has gotten it right, is in the sense that they recognize that you need the private investment alongside the government subsidies in order to address the total uh, market needs. So obviously said a lot there, but I think there's a lot of components that are going into uh, driving the government's desire to subsidize uh, bridging the digital divide. There's been a lot of talk in real estate about infrastructure investing, especially public-private partnerships like this. Uh, but there's there's a there's a <laughs> it's not easy to do. You are dealing with an interesting partner with the government. Josh, as you're investing and and looking at these kinds of opportunities, uh, you know how how do you approach it? How are you thinking about? those kinds of things with, with local and, and larger government entities? Well, again, part of the way we think about it is that because we sit within an organization that is a very large government contractor and is already servicing government entities across our lines of business, um, that's more natural for us um, than maybe for some others. It doesn't make it easy, right? Doing business with uh, private parties only uh, can be easier in a lot of ways. Um, but certainly our company has gotten used to doing business with government entities at various layers, levels of government. Um, and once you get, um, once, once you get accustomed to it and frankly have, um, shown that you can deliver 
for those government entities, I think that means a lot. So that, that's one, one piece of the way that we think about it is um, kind of who we are and our ability to, to do that well. I think a second piece is that um, I think what Warren said is important. This isn't just about one bill and whether it passes or not. This is like a pretty clear, um, pretty clear priority for state and federal to, to make this work. And if it doesn't happen in one bill, it will happen across a series of other bills. And there have been all these different initiatives over time. When we see that from an investment, from an investment standpoint, um, we think it's interesting because there are a lot of projects where there's going to be a little bit, like I said before, there's going to be a winner and right. There's going to be a sub, let's just say you want to do a project and you need to get a grant of some kind for, through one of these processes. If you get that, you are gonna, you're most likely to be the player that gets it for the thing that you're gonna do because it makes less sense for subsidy to be given to multiple players just to compete against each other. Now, this is leaving, you know, competition and antitrust and all of that aside. But there is something almost inherent in some of these businesses where if you are the one that gets the subsidy, you have this major advantage versus anyone else that's going to that's going to come up against you. So again, that's one way that we think about it. We think that's particularly interesting um, in terms of the defensibility of what you're investing in. I'd say from a, from a pitfalls perspective, the thing that you have to keep in mind is that the way that these amounts of subsidies get allocated is important. So. There have been some cases where there have been auctions and everyone and their brother has shown up and maybe the winner accepted an amount of subsidy that didn't make sense. That wasn't, you know, that there were some folks that thought that just the fact that they won a subsidy was almost like a ticket to riches, right? And we know that that isn't the case. You, do, you still have to do your work. You still have to figure it out. Um, and, you know, there is sometimes winners uh, curse when you show up and you kind of win an auction, but you wish that you hadn't, right? So you still have to do your work and you have to be smart about it. But at least, you know, at least coming from the standpoint of you're, you're you know, again, you have this opportunity, if you do it right, to probably set up some very interesting yield investments that we think will be more defensive than if they were just pure market, uh, market delivered opportunities. We think that's that's super interesting. And Josh, just just furthering on that point as well, I think that subsidy doesn't always have to come in the form of money. So what you're seeing now is you're seeing subsidies in the form of, for example, single dig. So with all the infrastructure monies that are going in place, you're digging a new road, you're digging, you have to put all the power and water alongside of it. Well, all of a sudden now you've taken the big cost out of laying fiber, which is the dig. If you can use that single dig and you can lay fiber alongside of it, all of a sudden now you've subsidized it. And so what you're seeing a lot of state DOTs, for example, doing are public-private partnerships where they're going out and finding uh, providers to put middle mile fiber in that not only support the DOT network, but that can also be leased to the large um, uh, the large uh, telecoms, for, for, for example. And you're doing that through single dig. And so there's a number of different ways that subsidies can, 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 can come about and for us, when we look at sort of how we invest, it's sort of, we're saying, okay, well, where is our edge? We've got a lot of connections with state and local governments, with the departments of transportation. And so as a result, because of those relationships, we're, we're able to, to access those and so forth. But it still falls under this idea that 
we like the underlying economics and the supply demand and then ultimately the risk return for for the investment. Excellent. And and the efficiency fan in me uh, just loves that kind of subsidy. Um, it, it just it sounds good all around. Um, we don't have that much time, but I wanted one last thought, which is, you know, what are you guys most excited about um, over the next couple of years? We're starting off the new year here. It's it's uh, January 7th of uh, 2022. And despite the uh, raging uh, COVID uh, virus of the day, uh, how do you feel? What, what what are you excited about going forward? Uh, specifically in the digital space, you know, just since that that's kind of our focus. I mean, we're we're very focused on um, on in building. I think Warren mentioned it. We think that the rollout of five G is just a huge um, uh, secular trend, right? That's yet to really play itself out. And when you combine the fact that what five G does very well is it creates the opportunity for a lot more bandwidth through the mobile networks, which is very interesting. But not everyone knows this, but it, it does a worse job of penetrating buildings. So you are delivering a lot of potential bandwidth, but it's actually not making it inside of the buildings as much. So you couple that with the fact that the amount of use of bandwidth with Internet of Things and just the amount of bandwidth that all of us are using keeps going up. You have this very interesting situation where linking up the high amount of in-building use with access to the 5G networks, we think is a super interesting piece of the puzzle. So that's definitely something we're spending um, a lot of time on. And then I, I think the other thing that we're spending a lot of time on is really trying to um, work with some of these state um, uh, and federal agencies and, and, and relationships that we have and trying to figure out how can we be part of the solution? How can we help um, them get what they would like, which is, you know, to increase the amount of um, the amount of access basically to high speed broadband um, and do it in the most cost efficient way. And we think that, you know, being part of that, it's I mean, it's going to be good for everyone. It's good. Everyone involved, um, including the people that get the service. So we're, we're pretty excited about that. So my answer is probably a little more macro in the sense that we're excited about development all around. So our business really falls into three buckets. We've got real estate equity, which is primarily focused on development, real estate credit, which is primarily focused on development, and digital infrastructure, which is primarily focused on development um, of, these, of these assets. And so when I think about what excites me today, it's the ability to build something at a higher yield than you can buy it. With, with where interest rates are overall, being able to build something with some uh, implied spread in, in the development, whether we're building a hotel, whether we're building an office building, whether we're building a multifamily building, or whether we're building digital real estate feels good right now. And it feels like uh, there's still significant supply demand on both the actual real estate side, where you you, you had a miss during the GFC where not a lot was developed and, and we're still catching up to that. But then also supply demand on the capital side, we've got a lot more capital coming in looking for core assets then, then those core assets exist. And core assets can be core digital real estate assets. They can be a core office building. But development overall, I think, is what excites me personally right now because I think we are in a position where um, we, we, uh, where there's a lot of opportunity to, to create assets that there's a lot of demand for, both on the capital side and on the user side. Excellent. So we've been talking today with Josh Katzen, CIO, and Warren Waxberger, CEO 
of AECOM Capital uh, about their digital real estate strategy. Thank you, Josh and Warren, for joining me on the AFIRE podcast. This was fun. Thanks, Guy. Thank you. You've been listening to the AFIRE podcast. Remember to subscribe on your favorite podcast subscription service, such as Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitchers, and others. AFIRE is not engaged in providing tax, accounting, or legal advice. No content in this podcast is to be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell any asset. Some information included has been obtained from third-party sources considered to be reliable, though AFIRE is not responsible for guaranteeing the accuracy of third-party information. The opinions expressed are those of its respective contributors and sources and do not necessarily reflect those of AFIRE.